This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and I'm joined as always by my older brother and genuine real life economist, Thomas. Welcome, Thomas. Oh, thanks, Adam. I've got a genuine in there this week. That's exciting. Yeah, I, added, I added genuine. You like that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, now, do not adjust your sets. Uh, my voice is a bit worn out uh, today. It's a bit husky, so maybe grab yourself a nice glass of red and put on some smooth some smooth tunes some Barry White in the bedroom and uh, listen to me try and understand economics but uh, I was down on the beach all, all weekend yelling at kids so well that sounds bad doesn't it down on the beach yelling at kids um, <laughs> get off my I actually, beach <laughs> <laughs> I should qualify that I'm a, a surf lifesaving coach and I was trying to uh, it was really windy and just so the kids could hear me, I had to yell. So I wasn't just down there abusing children on the beach, let it be known. Uh, we are at episode 10 or perhaps even season 2, episode 1. So we've finished our intro series, which was the first nine episodes. Um, so if you are just tuning in for the first time, if you want a good grounding in economics, macroeconomics, some of the key themes and foundational pieces um, – I'm going to go back and listen to it, I reckon, because I'm still not convinced that I understand fairly large chunks of it. So, uh, yeah, if you if you do want a good grounding before we kick off, then we would encourage you to go and listen to the first nine episodes in what we're calling an intro series or maybe even season one to be confirmed. But this is definitely the next episode. So welcome back. Um, and we have been getting some, some listener questions through the email, Thomas, which is exciting. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, we had an email from Toby and Toby asked following the last two episodes that we did which were largely focused on modern monetary theory Toby wanted to know are there any good books to read on modern monetary theory and he did qualify which I thought was unnecessary he said uh, for someone with as much or as little knowledge as Adam which I don't Toby I'm not sure we needed to go there <laughs> I think what he meant was maybe an introductory sort of thing, book for uh, modern monetary theory. But yeah, sure, let's go with it. Someone like me, Thomas, what's a good book for someone like me to understand MMT? Uh, Yeah, if they're talking for you, I think uh, Spot's big book of intermediate (laughs) finance. (laughs) (laughs) Is that one of those lift the flap books? (laughs) Look at Spot, print money, print Spot, print... (laughs) 
Oh, I can't wait to open the door on the reserve bank. <laughs> Spot is it the money printing machine? Um, um, yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, yeah, in terms of the theory, I'm not really sure. Probably the defining book at the moment is Stephanie Kelton's um, The Deficit Myth. And probably in the sense, it's probably the most important book because she was Bernie Sanders' um, economic campaign advisor. Um, And so, like, that's really set the ground for MMT and and driving a lot of it. I haven't actually read the book, though, to be be honest. I got the gist. Just, like- in case you, just in case you thought you were getting economic <laughs> advice from an expert. <laughs> I got. I, I got, actually read it. No, I watched. I watched the YouTube video on it and got the gist. And <laughs> says every conspiracy theorist in the world. I, I watched did some the research. YouTube video. You did some. Re- you did your own research. It's key. That's the key. Mm. I did my own research on the internet. So you Where do you get your your knowledge of uh, MMT from then? I read widely. You read widely? Yeah. You're you're just looking at Facebook and articles on the internet, is that? Yeah. No, not Facebook. I don't go to Facebook for my economic knowledge. No, I mean, my my job means I've got to like, I've got to read a lot. So like stuff going going out in the AFR or a lot of, you know, analysts are sort of publishing stuff all over the place. There's a lot out there if you want to. The Equity Mates discussion board, I find, is a fantastic place to <laughs> On Facebook. Facebook, yeah. actually, yeah. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> all right, on with the show. Um, episode 10, season two, I don't know where we're up to. Uh, but we're talking, we're kicking off a, a kind of a new chapter really now and we thought a really good place to start, given that it is still early in 2021. There's a lot going on. We thought that we would start with uh, what we're calling the five mega trends that will define 2021. Um, fair to say they're largely your mega trends. Uh, I'm just along for the ride. So uh, why don't we get started at number one? And this one's a pretty interesting one, especially I think if you're a, a mortgage holder like me. Negative interest rates, Thomas. Mm, mm. Yeah, negative interest rates. I don't, I don't think we're going to see negative interest rates this year. That's very unlikely to happen. But it's a terrible title then, five megatrends for 2021. Yeah. If well, you don't think it's going to happen this year. I think, I think, I think the key trend, what, I, what I'm trying to point to there is we used to think up until COVID hit that mm. interest rates had a floor, that once yep. the Reserve Bank, once the official cash rate hit, 0.25%, that was it. There was no more rate cuts to be had. Yeah. We now know that that's not true. The RBA has come up with a, a funding source for banks that they're, they're pumping money into the banks so long as the banks go out and lend it. Um, and they're doing that at the moment. They're giving banks money at 0.1%, um, which is, you know, sweet FA in a mm. technical term. Um, <laughs> As long as the bank- no, it's hardly worth it's hardly worth charging, is it? Point one. Yeah. What's point one between yeah, mates? Point one. Uh, right. Um, and as long as as long as banks go out and lend that to customers, then they can access that funding. Um, okay. But this is sort of the that that rate that zero point one percent that that's not bound by anything. That that could could there's no theoretical limit on what that number could be, um, and it could be could be negative. And in some countries around the world, it is negative. Um, Really? Mm, yeah. So, are, are, are consumers and people like me getting that negative rate? Like, are we? Can we expect to see that in the Australian 
economy? Will we see negative rates? Not as I say, not this year. It's very unlikely. Mm. So, um, but you think the you think the the RBA will go negative this year? I think there's a good chance. I think there's a good chance, particularly if if COVID COVID kicks on, lasts a bit longer than we thought. We're still, you know, the damage from COVID. We're still talking about five to ten percent of the economy of GDP. We still haven't made that up yet. So we're still we're still talking about an economy that's that's struggling under the weight of COVID. Mm. Um, it's it's definitely not the case that policymakers are done in terms of trying to stimulate the economy and help it recover. And so it's probably not the case that monetary policy is done. And that, to me, it seems quite likely. And the, and the RBA has set up the infrastructure to make this happen, for rates to go negative and for banks to be able to access money at negative rates, which they can then pass on to, on to consumers. Because the, the RBA did say that they had a floor previously. This was mm. not long ago, maybe six months ago. They said the floor was 0.25, as you mentioned. So is there a new floor now or now they, they're just kind of admitting they're like, well, no, nah, we went through the floor. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't really know what's after the floor because now we now we obviously can't set a new floor mm. because that would just make ourselves look a bit foolish. Yeah, that's probably not the exact thinking at Martin Place, but yeah, there, yeah. Once you once you sort of like open up the to the realms of negative interest rates, then then the, you know it's infinite. You could go to negative infinity interest, like theoretically now. So <laughs> that that also is probably not going to happen. Good news, good news for mortgage holders. <laughs> <laughs> We're on our way to negative infinity. <laughs> Oh uh, man, I'm really I'm just annoyed that I listened to you to fix my home loan rate. <laughs> <laughs> Back when they were two, positive, <laughs> two point something. It's <laughs> oh, annoying. Yeah, but but I think I think the the, the key thing is monetary policy is not done. It's not out of the game. Mm. And if the economy doesn't recover rapidly, and it, you know it's, it's making a good fist, it's, things are on track. We're doing pretty well, particularly compared to the rest of the world. But you know outbreaks keep popping up, and so it is possible that we will see rate cuts. Um, this year and that and that means you know you, it's not hard to get a mortgage rate with a two in front of it like uh, sorry with a one now like that that's that's right. possible with a one in front of it i think you could possibly see low ones by the end of the year and really? mortgage rates potentially potentially the, the way the way for that is open now i think this is this is quite a big topic and it might be worth just maybe going into it next week maybe, maybe we should do an episode on it yeah, I think that'd be good, especially for people like me who've got a mortgage and want to know what what maybe that means. Um, I think, especially in terms of, you know, the uh, common thinking, at least that I understood, was you should try and pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible. And so, you know, if we start talking negative interest rates or zero rates or whatever it is, then maybe that doesn't make sense. Like money's so cheap, why would you try and pay it? Off? Like, wouldn't you be better off? Um, assuming you made good investments, you know, <laughs> investing that money that you would otherwise be pumping into your mortgage, just pump it into the share market. Yeah, it's true. Like if you're getting paid to have a mortgage, like why not just have as many mortgages as you can? Yeah. Have a portfolio of mortgages. I'll have, I'll have four mortgages, please. Uh, all right. Well, mate, yeah, maybe um, if, so, if that's something you want to hear, actually, um, then send us an email, cve at equitymates.com. Uh, or equitymates.com forward slash CV on the web. 
because um, yeah I think that is there probably is more in that and we could do a whole episode on it rather than just one of our top five mega trends that will define 2021 slash 22 and maybe 23 <laughs> um, <laughs> all right so moving on number two of the mega trends is money printing so uh, we talked about that obviously quite a lot of in detail mm. last week and the one before um yeah. A, few, a couple of different sort of angles on it, but you're saying what about money printing in 2021? Uh, it's going to happen. Right. It's big call. You yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the RBA's earmarked $100 billion over six months. Um, to print? Yeah, to print. They're buying government bonds. Government, the government's going, like looking at a, a budget deficit of 10% of GDP. Where that money goes is really interesting. So whether that goes into infrastructure spending, that might, um, you know, that might support uh, companies in the infrastructure sector. If it goes as direct household payments, that might support um, the retail sector. You know, uh, Premier Investments, Solomon Lou's uh, company that posted record profits. Uh, a few weeks ago so yeah on that so they need some help yeah well no Is that what you're saying no i mean that's on the back of oh right okay. of, of a household sector that's quite flush with cash at the moment on the back of all the um job job keeper payments and all that sort of thing so retail spending and the household sector is holding up very well at the moment um and if the economy continues to lag that's a that's potentially a good injection point of stimulus into the economy and might help help out companies in that sector so there's a lot of government money earmarked to come in where it comes in is going to be an interesting question and is something for investors to watch but yeah as you're saying right. we, we covered this in the last couple of episodes a bit on the the mechanics of it so go check that out if you want to want more detail is there any relationship between money printing and negative interest rates? Like, do they, can they start to, I don't know, like, can they go negative because they can print money or like, yeah. What's the let's, relationship? Let's say, let's say yes and pick it up next week. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to is open that. One, is this another? Yeah. <laughs> uh. I love it when I feel like I've asked a good question and you're like, nah, well, let's not talk about that now. All right. And it is, it is um, a good question, but it's like it's, it's a can of worms. Well, at least you've acknowledged that. That's mm. good. Um, all right. So number three, we're talking a trade war with China. Is that that's mm. that's happening to some extent already? What's hap- what's going to happen in the next twelve months? Yeah, it seems pretty pretty clear that China's not happy with the the run of the run of things we've been getting in australia so most of our exports you know china has become very quickly become our major trading partner our major export destination um and in 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 quite a serious way so the australian economy has become quite reliant on the chinese market and selling to the chinese market um it looks like china's trying to leverage that dependency into um a more compliant p- politics out of Australia. So not happy about, I mean, effect- effectively, I think af- after COVID, there was a sort of a clear break where Australia had been trying to walk the line between f- being between being friends with two, two major strategic rivals in the US and China and kind of right. trying to have it both ways. Saying, yeah, yeah, we're best buddies with you, the US and all of our military sort of dependencies with the US, but we really want to sell to China, so we're best buddies with China too. Once those mm. two powers started going at it, they kind of looked at us and go like, you can't really have it both ways. You can't be China's sheriff in the Pacific and 
getting rich on the Chinese market. Well, the, yeah, and China's sort of pressuring pressuring Australia, and then doing that through a number of trade bans, um, another you know a, a range of commodities are sort of getting tied up in 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 the Chinese so system. Is that a bit dependent then on the US-China relationship? Like if the, if US-China relations improve, then presumably they, we can say, well, it's okay that we're friends with the US again now because you guys are friends. Like what is it? The, the friend of the enemy of my enemy is my friend or something? Mm, is, mm. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like is that – and now that – because now Trump's gone and so Biden's in, mm. um, just – I think they got him in in the end. <laughs> they had to delay it a few times. <laughs> Color practice goes, um, but now that um, now that Biden's in, are we thinking that relations will improve, or is that too too simplistic? I, th- I think it's unlikely. I, I, it's going to. I mean, I'm not a geopolitical expert, but mm. like, oh, sounds so disappointed. Far out. <laughs> First, I'm getting the can't answer that question. We'll talk about it next week. Now you're not an expert. <laughs> no, I understand. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, I think I either think it's going to be either am I. So I guess we're even. <laughs> well, the 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 geopolitical experts that I'm reading for, like we could say that <laughs> on Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. This guy's got an awesome YouTube channel. Talks a lot about it. Um, no, like I think we're going to have a different uh, policy, like uh, a different stance out of the US with Biden. Um, mm. But I don't think we're not going back to the way things were, um, and I don't think that was ever really, really going to last. And I think, I think the US and the China will still are going to remain strategic rivals for a while. That might there might be some trade sort of fungibility at the edges of that, and that might be a, be a bit of give and take. But I think there's a recognition that there's they're, they're strategic rivals now, and that has implications for. Um, the interconnectedness of of the, of the strategic rivals' economy, mm-hmm. and that includes ours. And so, so not so not a, a letting Chinese companies run our security networks or the telecoms networks. You know, like yeah. these kind of decisions. Like, I don't see that's not going to change under Biden, right? And I think that's that's there for the long run. And I think, and it does seem like China's setting Australia up as a bit of a test case in economic coercion. I wonder that. And are we big enough to sort of fight it out with them? I mean, like, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like we're sort of, you know, bringing a water pistol to a, a gunfight here. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, like militarily, no, no, no way, but. Oh, no, I don't mean like. Yeah. <laughs> in case you're listening, China, I'm <laughs> not suggesting that we're going to, we should go to war. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. even economically, you know, like, can we impose, I don't know, our own sanctions or anything that's going to kind of. It's it's a very one way relationship that that we export to China and um, yeah we and we're dependent on China and the 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 bind that Australia's got in is that we let ourselves our export markets become very very heavily tilted towards China um, mm. and so that requires some unwinding of that dependency but but the thing that Australia has in its favour is we're a commodity exporter and commodities are fungible so if, if Say, for example, that if China says we're not going to buy Australian iron ore, they've still got to buy iron ore from somewhere. So maybe they buy it from Brazil or something. But that means that Brazil's now selling selling to China. They're not selling to someone else. So that someone else, whoever that is, still needs iron ore. And iron ore is just iron ore. So they just buy Australian iron ore. But that that assumes that it's the old supply and demand thing, though, isn't it? Like it assumes that Brazil can't meet the demand of, of everyone. 
like what if the Brazil goes, yeah, we can we can accommodate your needs, China, as well as supplying everyone who we're already selling to. No, 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 no. Like, bit, like that's not that's not how the iron ore <laughs> market works. Don't shake your head at me. <laughs> <laughs> Just bat that one away. No. <laughs> No, 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 Adam. That's, don't you know anything about iron ore exports? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, no. It's, it's not. That's not what. It's not what determines iron ore production. Um, right. Yeah. No. No. So you're not a geopolitical expert, but it turns out you're an iron ore expert. Yeah. You might be surprised to know we're not in the level of expert knowledge right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, very good. I think um, I think I need a break just now. So why don't we just take a quick pause and get a word from our sponsors if they are if they're here. Hi, sponsors, uh, and we'll come back and we'll finish off our top five mega trends for 2021. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. I'm Adam. This is Thomas. And we are going through our top five megatrends for 2021. Uh, economics megatrends, I guess. Number four, we're up to, Thomas. And we're talking work from home and regional rotation. Mm. So what's regional rotation, first of all? I think we're going to see a shift of the economics balance away from the capital cities and towards the regions. Um, right. not, not, not completely like, so the Australian economy is very, de- you know, some, I don't know, it's like 90% of economic activity hap- happens in the capital cities. We're a very centralized economy in that sense. And so that, I think we're going to see a bit of a shift away and a bit of a movement towards the regions. I think work from home, you know, it started as a bit of a, a crisis response, a temporary, it was a sort of a stopgap measure just to sort of get us over COVID, but it's sort of dragging on. You know, like I, I think it's going to be here with us, you know, at least until the middle of the year, maybe probably the end of the year. So that's sort of like almost two full years where companies have had to live with work from home. Mm. And that, so that's starting, I think we're starting to see that shift from being, you know, companies seeing that as a temporary response to just actually it actually changing the way that they do business and once they get all their systems set up and they become more permanent then there's a sort of you know inertia there and it'll be it'll take a while to shift back if at all and so i think 
Initially, I was thinking work from home was just wasn't going to have a huge impact because mm. I expected it to be a temporary measure and that companies would soon call all their workers back into the office. But more and more, I'm seeing companies and even public sector agencies position themselves to be to make work from home an ongoing reality. Yeah, it's definitely happening more. Like from what I've seen, you know, around Adelaide where I live, um, and people that I know are more and more uh, saying that they're. Their employers are just making it a permanent move, or, or setting up a hybrid type arrangement, or even a um, you know sort of an, an optional thing. Where it's like we've, we've got this office space in the city, but uh, you only need to come in one or two days a week. Uh, you can come in more because I think that's the that's the big challenge. Work from home is really attractive to some people, but then other people maybe not so much. And you mentioned uh, you know regional rotation, people maybe moving out to the regional areas. Do you reckon part of that is the, is going to be a need to upsize your house? Like people who want to spend more time working from home, if you're living in, you know, in the inner suburbs of Sydney or in the city, um, you know, maybe for, you know, Sydney prices, you might be able to get a one-bedroom apartment for $3 million. Um, you know, obviously mm. not accurate, but <laughs> um, but you know, you don't. If you're in a one bedroom apartment, you don't have space to set up an office and a and a you know sit stand desk and a you know some mood lighting or whatever you need to to create that office space. So, do you reckon that's going to drive some of the the regional move as well? Yeah, I, rec- I reckon it, it must be the case. I mean, once you, once you take away the work, like I think a lot of people aren't, you know, they're not emotionally connected to living in the city. Like I'm, like I'm in Byron Bay and it is just packed right now. Like there are so many people here. The rental market's just ridiculous. Yeah, there's so many people looking to get out of the cities and, and get to the regional areas. Well, at this, this particular... But I, but I hear it happening all up the coast of, of New South Wales. Um, yeah, but I think it's yeah, must, that's probably a factor. Because I think working from home is fun... In, if you if you if you're really well set up for it, so like I, I work in a co-working space because I don't want to working from home with kids and is a drag, and I don't really have a room for it. I don't want to work at the kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think it's I think yeah. There's there's going to be a lot of shifts like like this taking place. I think there's a long there's a lot to play out though. I think like and there's still I reckon even now there's a novelty factor. But I think people are starting gradually to miss the office a little bit. They, mm. They're missing, you know, people, you know, we've complained for, forever about having to go into the office, being dragged into the office. But I reckon people are starting to miss the social elements if they, if they aren't already, you know, of going into the office. I think there's a lot of other reasons to go into the city too. And I was actually listening to this podcast the other day. Um, do you know Tim Ferriss? Mm. He's the, like the author of the four-day work week and some other books. Four he was hour. interviewing... Mm. Four, that's what did I say, four days. Four day work week. Yeah. He was a visionary. Yeah. Could have set the bar a bit higher, but four day work week's good. Uh, well, he was interviewing um, this bloke, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the um, astrophysicist fella. And he was talking about how, I'm going slightly off topic here, but he was talking about how his being raised in the city was really important for his development. His parents used to take him out to to go and see like experts in their field, whether it was in the in theatre or uh, to a, a Yankee game or whatever it was, to go and see, you know, museums and art galleries and, and all the best stuff. And that, that all still happened in the city. And he's saying the issue with 
families that moved out to regional areas or, as he said, even to the suburbs, that stuff didn't kind of exist there. And so, you know, his parents wanted to do it to expose him as a child to as many things as they could so that he could then make his own mind about what he wanted to do when he grew up. And so I think there's a kind of, there's an argument still, and this will still ring true for a long time, is the cities the cities still need a hub, you know, like you still need a place where things happen, big events happen and, you know, a place to put your art gallery and your museum and your, li- you know, your huge, huge libraries and university or, you know, there's regional campuses now. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think there's still a lot to be said for the city. I don't know that um, maybe from a commercial aspect we're going to lose out on commercial properties, but that might not be a bad thing anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I think it's interesting looking at what what value there is in a city that's beyond purely the work story. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I don't I don't feel culturally deprived where I live at all. Like it's it's humming here, but yeah, I think yeah, maybe some people. Nah, yeah, absolutely, and different. I mean, you know, culture takes many many forms. So yeah, no, I'm not not suggesting that you would be, but yeah. I think there's there's still a case for the city not that i need to make it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're living in adelaide it's practically a country town <laughs> i'm 20 minutes from everywhere <laughs> uh, so all right let's crack on so number five let's bring it home number five the truth is dead this sounds very controversial thomas what are we talking about here the truth is dead um i think this is i'm pointing here to the way the media's changed over the last probably only five years it hasn't hasn't been very long we're sort of i think we've really seen a almost like a balkanization a, a, a splintering into into thought bubbles people live in media thought bubbles they get a particular um you get, get exposed to particular ideas and they start to reinforce and they live in to- totally different universes and i think you look at what i think america is sort of the, the strong example of that the People right now in America, are, you know, just can't even understand. Trump supporters can't understand how anyone could vote for a monster like Biden. Biden supporters can't understand how anyone would vote for a monster like Trump, and they mm. can't understand each other because they're just tuned in to completely different movies. They're watching completely different things play out, and I think this is it's a really interesting problem for for liberal democracies. Is is how do you build consensus to make stuff happen? whether that's, you know, a pandemic response or meeting the challenges of climate change or rebuilding an economy, these things that we have to do collectively, how do you build a consensus when people don't even have a shared description of what the problems are? They're seeing totally different problems. Because your news feed used to just be the newspaper. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone had the same news feed. And now everyone's got a different news feed. Everyone's got a curated news feed mm. to their own sort of uh, biases and tastes and whatever. Mm. I thought a good we- if some- someone out there wants to make a website, I reckon a good website would be if you could build like a. Um, oh, I'm giving away a killer idea here. Uh, if you make money out of it, shoot me some cash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I reckon if you could build a website that took all of your biases that that are currently used to display news and ad- advertisements to you, if you could just flip that and display the opposite, mm. the counter arguments and the counter stories and every kind of, if you're a, 
if you're a, a Trump supporting kind of guy, then you visit this site and it gives you lots of positive news articles about Biden and why Biden's a good guy. Just somewhere you could go and check into every now and then to get the opposite view to yours. So it's still mm-hmm. a curated, tailored news feed, but it's like the opposite of what would resonate with you. And just go and see kind of what the other half sees for a bit. Or just find a friend who, like, you don't really get on with <laughs> and yeah. ask to swap news feeds. Just <laughs> swap swap Twitter creds or something for a while. <laughs> don't do that. Don't share your password. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's interesting where where the media finds itself in this reality. And I think, you know, there's, start, there's a self-reflection happening. Twitter and a few other platforms have banned Trump. They're starting to take some responsibility mm. for some of the stuff that's getting shared on their platforms. They're not seeing themselves as neutrally. I think there's a recognition that the way they've set up the algorithms has created a sort of a, a force that, 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 that they need to take responsibility for. And so where we come out at the other end of that, I, I don't know. I mean, and, it, and it's interesting, like I wouldn't, not, I wouldn't be sort of advocating for the good old days of centralized media where, you know, everything we came, yeah. we got came through Rupert Murdoch's filter. But <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yes, but it's like but what I, is, but I did I, enjoy the comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I think we've like we've we've gone from like a highly centralized media media to a completely decentralized media where you're only seeing user-generated opinions where anyone can have a crack and give you whatever. And there's no sort of like authority or legitimacy built into what you're seeing or any need for legitimacy yeah so so what does that just just quickly so what does that do economically then like what are the ramifications of such a kind of divided um i don't want to say society i don't think we're divided as a society but you know like of such division at least politically and um does that does that play out into economics as well somehow I think I think particularly with the pandemic response and where the money goes, I think mm. is 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 going to be really challenging. You know, like so I think like something like JobKeeper, like you could imagine things that are universally popular across the political spectrum. JobKeeper seems to have been an example of that, and it did juice corporate profits. You know, perhaps a little more than was necessary, but generally people have been pretty happy with that. But you know, like. I know, like a vaccine rollout, like, you know, markets are still expecting, you know, what to me looks like really ambitious vaccine rollout schedules. They're talking about, you know, 90% of the developed world being vaccinated by middle of the year. Like to me, that that seems incredibly ambitious and requires like, you know, requires... Every that's a pipe dream. Sorry, that's not happening. <laughs> that's Goldman Sachs's not, central not scenario. The, not with some of the news feeds that I've seen. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's people are buying into conspiracies and all sorts of stuff and 5G being injected into people's skins and like there's not enough. Like, and, and it's just I think there's genuine nervousness too around the vaccine and we're probably well out of our, um, mm. our area of expertise here. But I think that, you know, people are... Hesitant because it feels like it's been rushed, and you know, I don't know. Personally, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll take it. It's, you know, I back science, so I'm having it. But, um, but you know, just I think there's still some concern and whatever. So yeah, I, I think ninety percent. We couldn't. How many people did we need to install the COVID Safe app? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> didn't we need to get? Didn't we need to get sixty percent or something? Yeah, until we didn't. <laughs> we did, to yeah, it did, <laughs> until we stopped talking about it. But we couldn't get that, so um, that was a much easier than a needle in the arm. <laughs> Yeah. Twice, yeah, a bunch of chemicals under the skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, and it's, and it's. I think it's. I mean, it's a real, it's a real challenge for liberal democracies. Like, China doesn't have this problem. China says we're doing a vaccine. We're locking down the state. Yeah, you know, China, China tested nine million people in one province. There was a COVID mm. outbreak. They tested nine million people in a weekend. Mm. You know, like, yeah, like. Amazing. They they don't they don't have to deal with this. They don't have to deal with a population that's like that that can splinter along sort of these political lines. What become or mm. what become politicalized lines are not necessarily political to begin with, but they become political. Like it's a challenge for liberal democracies, like how you build consensus to get stuff done, and we still need to get stuff done collectively. Yeah, it's, I think that's going to be one of the the, the challenges of the year, and, and the tools that we that we develop to build that consensus aren't there right now, but are badly needed. And so, I think mm. that's that's going to be really interesting to watch how that plays out. All right, nice one. So, quick recap: five mega trends for twenty twenty one. Number one, we had negative interest rates. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year. Uh, the money tr- money printing train is just going to keep on rolling on. That was number two. Number three, we had the trade war with China. Uh, might get better before it gets worse. Uh, get worse before it gets better. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yep. Maybe we say that. Uh, and then number four, working from home and regional rotation is going to keep continuing uh, and maybe expanding. And number five, the truth is out there, but it's dead. <laughs> 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 Terrible. What was that? X Files reference. Yeah. Watch the skies. <laughs> well, that's not far from where we're at anyway. Mm. X Files territory feels like in 2021, but we do hope you. I uh, hope you're keeping you're keeping well out there and keeping safe. And thanks very much for listening to Comedian versus Economist. Uh, as we mentioned, don't forget you can email us anytime. As lots of people are doing now, which really is really. Uh, amazing to see coming through so thanks for all your emails so far uh, you can email us cve at equitymates.com uh, or check out the website equitymates.com forward slash cve thanks again to equitymates if you're after some really good uh, investing knowledge and information then be sure to check out the equitymates investing podcast uh, those guys are doing some amazing stuff over there So, yeah, that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week and we'll look forward to your company then. I'll catch you later, Thomas. Thank you. All right. See you. This podcast proudly brought to you by Equitymates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 